It's February 24th, 2017, and you're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. And I'm Larry. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, if you listened last time, you know that we were so excited because we're doing our first really remote interview. Um, we've had a few people in the office before to come in and talk. Uh, but there are two time zones between us yeah, there, and our there special guests today. Two whole time zones. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to Stanley Felderman and Nancy Keating in Culver City, California. Is it Culver City or like is that Los Angeles adjacent or? No, it's in. It's actually in the heart of Los Angeles, but. It's its own little microorganism. But it is Culver City. It's its own city. Okay. I guess we're like the park cities here for us. Maybe so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, a little bit about Stanley and Nancy. They're with Felderman Keating Associates in Los Angeles, and they have an international career that spans more than three decades. And they were recently honored as the 37th Annual Interiors Awards Design Legends. That's a mouthful. Um, as presented by Contract Magazine. They've taught and lectured across the U.S. and in Europe, and have had their work featured in the New York Times, Newsweek, Fortune, Forbes, just to name a few. And Nancy was recently inducted, congratulations, into the IIDA, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the International Interior Design Association College of Fellows. So congratulations and welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Well, you know, it took some doing to get this set up, and and um, I'd like to think that Laura and I are technologically savvy, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We're, at least we're good at other things. Yeah. <laughs> if it's any consolation, we talk about technology, and, you know, we're very much involved in the office of the future, and often we fumble when it comes to dealing with our own personal technology. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Yeah. That makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, one of the first things that we wanted to, to find out from you guys, because you are uh, husband and wife, and, um, you know, obviously a career that spans over 30 years. So we're kind of curious, did you guys meet in school? Did you start the firm together? Did you come together separately? How was how that, the firm relationship, and how, was, how did you guys meet, and how did things kind of form to become um, Felderman Keating? Um, well, actually, we did not meet in school. We met Stanley already had his had a firm. So you wanted to yeah, I had it. a firm in New York and Los Angeles, and um, went to a political fundraiser. And Nancy was there with him, <laughs> uh, substituting for her father, and uh, she was a guest, and I was the guest of, of someone uh, on my visit here to LA. And I had just designed a private club for you, Hafner. Uh, which was sort of an upscale club. And then her mother had asked, how do I get into this club? And I kind of chimed in and said, you know, I could get you in. And um, without going into too much detail, we, uh, we fell in love very quickly. And uh, uh, I wound up uh, moving to Los Angeles to be with Nancy. And uh, as a result, our focus. Well, actually, he just closed his New York office and he kept his LA office. So yeah, because I. <laughs> so let's put it in perspective. No, yeah. I mean he had a lot more work and entertainment 
um, that was happening. And um, so th that really brought him, brought you west um, as well. And uh, you were, um, and then continued to do a lot of entertainment work on the West Coast. And right. That's how we, we met and we started working together. Um, in the early 80s. And so were you already established in your interior design career, Nancy, at that point? No, um, I wasn't. I was doing different things uh, in my life. I was a producer and a documentary filmmaker. And um, so um, I had kind of a different bent, though. And I had graduated from college with a urban studies and design focus. But that had not been what I'd went into. As a result, you know, Nancy's really good with people and um, sort of evaluating and quantifying information, which is key to uh, any creative design firm. You know, you can't just rely on your creativity. You need to quantify everything. And uh, so, so we're a good, we complement each other. So then how long after you both were in Southern California did the joint uh, firm come together then? Well, we were... It was a couple, couple years. Couple just, years. A couple of years. You know, we, we Nancy um, was always interested in in what I did, and was still pursuing um, uh, entertainment. And she was working on a documentary and had worked on it for two years, and it kind of fell through. As you know, you can work for years on a film, and you can't if you can't get your final funding, you got two years worth of work that. So she finally had enough, and we looked, we knew that we we were complementary to each other, and we decided to work together, and um, it, it it you know worked out well, you know from the get go. Uh, Nancy has a um, uh, uh, a background in uh, you know urban studies, and so, so she knew um, how to investigate the human condition and you know, what, what basic human needs are and how to solve problems. So it was a really good mix, which is unusual for an architectural firm because we all think, oh, we need these um, design minds, but creativity happens on a lot of different levels. Uh, and um, I think that's unique to, to us that we bring you know, two aspects to the design process. Yeah, that's true. It is very helpful to have somebody to bring a slightly different perspective to to make sure that your design is really considering all angles. Hmm. I think, I yeah, we've experienced that too. Yeah. It's good. Interesting. Well, yeah. so, so here's my big question because I was telling Laura earlier, I said, you know, I love my husband to death, but if we work together, I, I, I just can't imagine, you know, <laughs> see, see, you know, like I said, love him to death, but seeing him all day and then, you know, going home at night and oh look, he's there again. Um, Whereas, you know, she, she and her husband are both architects. Laura and her husband are both architects, but they work in very different offices. So how do you guys reconcile, you know, seeing each other all day, so to speak, and then coming home at night? Is there just sort of that you walk in the door and click the architecture part kind of turns off, or do you all? No. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's never been, um, you know, I used to think that, oh, yeah, you have to have that balance or, you know, and you click it off at night. But, you know what, I, I we gave up on that a long time ago. It just is part of our life. It's part of our DNA. And um, we actually have managed to get along very fairly well um, in our practice. 
and um, uh, you know, we just we both kind of cover different things, and I think we have. I think it's also that we have a lot of respect for one another um, in what each of us does, so that um, you know we're willing to bounce ideas off of each other and um, brainstorm together, and that's what we continue to do when we go home. I will also say that we have two 16-year-old twin daughters, so who, who also come to us and say, you know, you, mom and dad, you need to stop talking about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but they're both very, uh, they're both very creative. Just an example. We have a house, we built a 500 square foot studio on the top floor in our home and we have desks and computers. You'll find four of us at the dining table downstairs working and and there's not an inch clear of that dining table that doesn't have stuff on it. But we could be going upstairs to the studio and what we do is, you know, we're, we're cooking dinner, we're working. Um, we, it, it's a very rich life. We're, and, um, you know, at no point, we don't get over, overwhelmed by it or we don't get overdosed by what we do. We love it. You know, a lot of times uh, I'll come home and I'll, I'll start working, you know, 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. till two in the morning. I'm working on, you know, painting or graphics and things that don't have to do with architecture. Uh, Nancy might be in the bedroom reading because that's one of her passions and, and learning. So um, we we could count on one hand in the 20 uh, six, six years, years that we're married that we have actually gotten into an argument Um we're we're passionately in love with each other. We love what we do. We can spend twenty four hours. We could go on vacations together, spend twenty four hours a day together, and still talk nonstop about yeah. stuff and be intimate. So I think we're we're really really fortunate. I think I the most issues we have are probably with our kids. I know. Yeah, you know, with teenagers who have for their parents. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah so. Uh, yeah. When we built our own home, the biggest argument we had was, um, Stanley, when are you going to finish your drawings and get this thing built? Because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't put closure on it. You know, I, I, I figure out the right idea. The right idea. I was the worst client you could imagine. And Nancy just said, "Okay, it's done. <laughs> it's done. We're finished. Yeah. Now you're we're going to move in there yourself if it doesn't get done." <laughs> so that was the biggest argument. And and what height is the bath? Uh, are the sinks in the bathroom? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Lower and she wanted them higher. So. Well, so the I mean, your relationship sounds magical, and I can only imagine how interesting it is to work at your office. If you guys have that much chemistry and really enjoy working together, it must be really fun to be one of your employees. Can you tell us a little bit about the culture in your office? Uh, sure. Um, I, I'll start. Yeah. One is we're a very flat organization that um, we do not um, hire junior people that don't have a voice. In fact, I like when uh, we have people that are just learning and aren't restricted to express themselves and maybe 90% doesn't stick and that 10% is helping to look at things a different way. Um, Nancy and I are both very hands-on. I still, you know, draw you know, walk up to somebody working on a project and, um, you know, do some overlays. Uh, 
uh, I'm very I'm very adept on the computer and um, uh, which is unusual for a principal that's older to be mm -hmm. so computer literate, but I, 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 I love it. Um, and um, everyone gets to meet clients. So if you work on a project, you meet with a client and you help to deliver the news to the client. And I think that's really important because you have ownership and when things are asked to be changed or reevaluated, it's not coming third party and you develop a resentment because you put this, you know, 20 hours of work on a, something and the client's asking you to change and you were in, you weren't involved in that presentation process. And in that way you get to see the difficulties there are sometimes in um, getting buy-in, but also you see the exhilaration that's there when you do get the buy-in. So, um, and and that's also really, I think it's really valuable to um, have um, our employees participate because they really get to see the you know very different cultures of the different and the personalities of the clients that we have. Like today, we had a virtual reality company, and yesterday we had you know, uh, uh, entertainment lawyers and how they both function and how to deal with each one of those different, um, personalities and cultures is very different. So they get to see the extremes and, and how to, to handle situations like that. So I think it's really uh, valuable. And I think also what happens is when they're, when employees are involved is that the process can move along quicker, um, because they are part of the process. We also do a lot of lunch and learns. Vendors love to come to our office and um, increase it. we're very interested in new, in new products. Um, we email each other and messenger each other with little tidbits of information that we discover on Google. You know, so it's it's really like a big family, and uh, and in that sense, that separates us from larger firms, you know, one, one thing that's interesting, we compete against large firms for nice size projects, but we are very manageable. You know, we don't have uh, all these little boutique, um, uh, you know, groups within a larger organization. We are just uh, a unified entity. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, Stanley and I have been big. Um, we've had offices that had over, a hundred people in them, and uh, at and we um, thought that being part of a large organization was going to, you know, be an answer. And um, we found that we spent a lot more time managing people instead of designing. So we chose to not do that, um, and then downsized our office and closed one. And um, so uh, in, enjoy it much more because we are hands-on. And I think that that's what our clients um, enjoy is that the contrast of working with us versus a large firm is that they're going to get us um, in participating in the process. Uh, yeah. So we become accountable uh, with them. Yeah, I think this is, for me, is kind of an important thing because you always think it's bigger is better. Um, I think that... Um, if you find the right size that meets your profile of how you want to work, that's what the goal is to be, not what is perceived by the outside world. 
And when those two come together, it becomes a seamless process. It all fits together well. And the end result is that you enjoy what you're doing. The clients are there for the journey and they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And the end result is often, you know, perfect. It, it fits the needs. And uh, as a result of all that, I would say that 80% of our clients are repeat clients that we've had from 10, 15, 10, 15 years, uh, because we always say it's about the process that um, the end result is always is still a moving target. So we were reading a little bit about what you do, and and one of the terms that comes up is that human centric workplace. So what does that mean to you, or how is that different? Because I think what Larry and I have discussed in the past has been this um, recent, I don't want to say recent, but in the last, what, 10 years? Of well, probably the last five years, really. The trend of, of these open offices where there's no more cubicles, everybody can see everybody, and even the higher officers in the company might be sitting right next to the intern um, in more extreme cases where you're not even assigned a desk or, you know, permanently, you come in and you get your desk for the day. And so, um, my husband, as a personal um, experience, just moved his office, or his office just moved to that open concept from having cubicles. And I get to um, benefit from his experience during the day when he gets home because <laughs> he does not always enjoy it. And the problem is, is that it can be very, very distracting. And the furniture that was selected and I don't know who is responsible for selecting the furniture, but um, it is not conducive to an architecture firm where they have to lay out big sets of drawings. Um, so I'm just curious if that is something that has been tried and is now on its way out, or have you seen benefits from that? Are you are firms liking that idea? Well, Nancy, uh, you know Nancy could address this uh, in some detail, but we just came from a roundtable discussion last night. And that was exactly the topic. And we worked. We were in a discussion with people that were working with, you know, Google, Netflix, and you know, all these large companies who are all about open planning. And um, but then there's lawyers, and there's you know, there's entertainment companies, and there's smaller companies that um, are, are technology companies that require the privateness and the quietness and so on. So. Um, maybe Nancy wants to. So, you know, we were talking about um, the issue of trends and uh, we were saying that we're, you know, we don't follow trends. What I think is really key here is that um, for us, we need to listen to our clients and understand their particular culture. And if I'm designing for an architect who needs to lay out their space, then I need plans in their space, then I need to give him that space or that work surface to lay those plans out on. And I think that every um, company is different and there are going to be there some people there who we were talking to somebody yesterday and were a writer and they spent a lot of time in their office writing and they didn't get a window. And not for us. And there's not enough light. And they were complaining, like, who, who designed this? And I'm like, so who talked to you about what your needs were? Like, you spend a lot of time up front uh, investigating and understanding how people work, what's important to them, what's on their wish list. 
And we really go overboard because we think in the long run, you know, we'll sit when we sit down to design, we'll go, yeah, but that's not going to work for that person. Or, and then I don't care how many people there are, if it's 700 people that we're designing for, we need to understand the different departments, how their adjacency are, how they interact, who needs private offices. Can we give them phone booths? So they, if they don't have a private office that they can go and make a phone call in or small um, meeting spaces where four people are, can meet or so what, what are the solutions for this particular company so that it can be successful? Because in the long run, that is, that is the goal is to create a space that yes, is interesting aesthetically, but that's very, that works for them functionally. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. Um, yeah. So I, do I love open areas? Yeah. But I think now we're going to have a lot of open area that's not being used. Well, it's interesting because um, I can't divulge names, but architects and larger firms are saying that, you know, we design these large collaborative areas and 80% of them are going unused. So they photograph well, they look great. They, um, they feel like they should be correct, but it's not being used and it's not fulfilling a need. We have a basic need for um, some privacy, quietness, and um, you know, more often than not, when you want to listen to music, you put on a headset. You know, you listen to music. You don't need uh, uh, the whole place, bla- you know, blaring. Yeah, we had a, a person today who said, you know, for my office, I really want to make sure that there's shades because I like to meditate during the day. I'm like, so we'll put shades on the outside of his you know, offices that he can, you know, pull down when he wants that kind of privacy. But you need to, we we as designers have that responsibility to ask those questions. Yeah. One thing I'll say say is there's there's a few key elements that I think are important for the human condition if we're going to design human-centric spaces. Mm -hmm. And that is we have to to get back to nature. We all have a need to have direct exposure to daylight, physical contact to nature, and whatever we can do to allow that to happen, that's important. We need emotional health so that we can um, uh, have quiet time so that we can uh, recharge our battery. Uh, I think we all need time to get away and you know read, uh, learn things, and um, nurture our own you know self, our own self. Uh, um, we need to be able to recharge our battery, you know, when you're in an open, um, electrified space, you know, filled with energy, you don't get this quiet time and recharge your battery. And the biggest key in the office of the future is, you know, redefining wellness, you know, what is wellness? And we've learned that, you know, the better you feel, the more productive you come, you are, and the more engaged you become. So what all the elements that I just talked to you about before are the fundamental foundations for creating wellness in the office. So, um, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to achieve it, but, um, but I think that I've just given you sort of a, a, a brief chart of, but, and also what we're finding is that, you know, companies, um, smaller companies, you know, who can't afford to, you know, create, say, special, these special places for their employees, we're finding that landlords and developers are creating these within in buildings so that it's an amenity that they're offering, whether it's a coffee lounge, whether it's a workout space, whatever, it's a yoga, it's 
they're trying to offer these amenities to um, maintain their the, the uh, clients that they have and attract the new ones. So I think those are all um, things that we'll see more of. And it also then takes the pressure off of companies to have to have these um, space lounge spaces when a landlord is offering other, you know, options to them for somebody, somebody to go and, and relax. So are you noticing that the company owners that are coming to you, that they are becoming more open to these ideas and placing more priority on their employees' wellness and flexibility, like the, the person who said they wanted to meditate during the day. I've worked for bosses who, if I even, uh, you know, took five minutes to walk outside in the sunshine, they would have taken offense to that. And because I needed to be in my chair from eight to five, and that was how an office needed to be run. And, you know, I, I think things are changing, but I don't know. And I'm, I'm hoping they're changing because that's no fun. We haven't had a client recently that hasn't wanted that. Okay, so um, we're not running into any resistance about creating uh, environments that help the well-being of their employees. You know, most people are savvy. They've gone to conferences. They know what's going on. They see what's happening out there. And... Uh, so. But I think also the other thing that we're seeing um, more of lately, too, is um, that you have the old guard who's been in, in the business or has their company for a long time. And they have the, the younger, we have it both, we have even have it in a law firm where there's um, the older generation and then the younger uh, generation who wants a space that responds to, to what their needs are. So trying to find that balance between um, those generations and creating a space that um, answers mm -hmm. to both their needs. Um, so that's a new um, challenge that we've, we're starting to see actually a lot. Um, with companies that, that we're working with. So a lot of our listeners are architects or architectural interns. And do you have any advice to them if, if they're looking to maybe make a move or help improve their current office? What should they look for in a really healthy workspace or, um, or culture of, of a company? What would you suggest that they look for or questions that they might ask their future employer? Um, I think that um, I find that employees always, they want to feel like they're going to have an opportunity to be heard, to share, to collaborate, that those important um, elements that are that, that I talk about with my employees. Um, we're fortunate we do um, not just design, but we also do industrial design. And uh, so we're always interested in product. We're interested, I we encourage our employees to go outside of our industry and go to conferences, whether it might be the consumer electronics show or something, to be engaged in other areas that might also then impact what we do. So to take that time to, you know, educate themselves. Um, right. So, so for um, someone looking for employment, it's important for them to understand what their strengths are. Mm -hmm and what is their goal and sort of create a matrix of how do these fit together because sometimes you can have a, a vision and a goal about yourself and it's sort of counterpoint to where your real strengths are so you, you kind of have to first reconcile that so if, if your focus is creativity 
then you look for firms, you know, get to know who you're being interviewed by, where you're going. I mean, you can't make assumptions and, um, and in, interview and be focused so that you present work that really fits the needs of the people you're presenting to. You know, when we present our work to a client, we present it so that they get, so we get buy-in. So, I mean, a lot of times we get presentations from people that they show us, you're better off showing less than more because, you know, because sometimes I'll go, oh God, I wish they didn't show me that because, you know, I, so, um, so you really have to edit your work and tailor it to present you for the goals of what your, your career is going to be. Well, and, and so oftentimes when, um, at my office, when we go to interview with a prospective client, uh, we have learned that it's okay to ask for the no to ask them or to ask the right questions in order for them to say, you know what, this maybe is not a good fit because the projects that are a good fit are going to make us so much more fulfilled and it will be so much more fun and the relationship with the client will be better. Um, and, and there are some things that we're really good at and there's some things that somebody else might do better. And so would you suggest to somebody that's interviewing with a firm that, that they come right out and say that I'm really, really excellent at this part of your business, but if you ask me to participate in something like this, I'm not going to be able to bring my best. That's not where my strength is. Is that something realistic to be able to say, or do we, you know, do we suggest to our interns that they still need to be good at everything? You know what, interns have to be good at everything, but if you're great at something and you could do that and it meets the needs of, of the company you're interviewing with, first of all, um, sometimes the best interviews are when you ask questions. So even though you're being interviewed, um, you really, if you could say, you know, what do you, as a company, who are you looking to employ? You know, what, you know, what drives your company? What's the passion for your company? Um, and then share with me what your passion is. You know, it, it, I, I love interviews like that. It's, they're rare. Um, because, you know, the worst thing in the world is when, you know, somebody kind of just drones on and shows me 30 pages of a portfolio. It's like, you know, on and on and on. I'd rather see two projects and explain in depth how they got from point A to B, what their involvement is on that particular project and be clear about it. Because we get interviews and they'll say, oh, we did all the 3D rendering, we did the computer drawings, I met with the client, I did this. And then when they come and work for us, it's like, is this the same person I interviewed? Because they don't have those capabilities and they over-exaggerate what they can do, thinking that they can do it. I don't know that, it, I don't want to say they're, they're lying, but they're kind of um, not being honest. You're really better off being honest about what you, your role was and what your capabilities are so that when you go into a firm, you are placed in the right place so that you can be nurtured and grow. If you overemphasize what your capabilities are and what your ex experience has been, you're often put in the wrong place to begin with and it's a no-win situation. Because they have certain expectations of what they're going to have and then you, you didn't meet them. But I certainly don't think people who come to us need to have all the answers. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're looking for the people who have the potential. 
and that show the interest or show the passion. And we say, you know what, we can work with this, with what they know. And uh, if there's find out, if, see if they're teachable. And we can probably pretty much gauge that from their portfolio and go, hey, yeah, we want to give these people a try. And we had this one fellow who came to us with a, it was a project he'd done in school and the whole thing was designed around a heart or something. It was just the layout. And, and it was like, wow. And the way he explained it, it was like, wow, he, I wanted that man, the, the, that boy to work for us. So, you know, he did and he turned to be, he learned phenomenally fast and um, he became one of our better employees. So um, you never know it, because he was also willing to listen and, and learn and, and do more. It wasn't like he came to us and said, yeah, I know all the answers. Well, one of the things I've always told, like, the you know, kids coming out of college, not even the other, this is their first job. And we've sat down and we actually haven't had, well, when, when I was still with HPD, I don't think we ever really hired anyone uh, while we were there, while I was there. Um, but we would have these, you know, college kids come in just to, you know, do an interview and find out what they're what they're they're asking and what they're looking for and stuff. But the one thing I always told them, I said, you know, I'm not interested in your portfolio because the school portfolio you're going to show me is probably every other school portfolio I'm going to see. You know, what is it about? What is it about you? What is it about? What do you like to do? What What do you do besides architecture? What is it that drives you that makes you passionate? And that's going to tell me more about whether or not you're going to fit in than any portfolio is going to tell me anything. Yeah, that's true. Right, exactly. Well, you may have a lot more applicants after this podcast then, so uh, (laughs) you'll have to let us know if if you get more resumes. (laughs) Well, I think, um, do we want to hear about some projects? Uh, Or is there something we haven't covered that you guys want to share with us? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, But we... Um, you know, we do a wide range of work from hospitality to corporate to product design. Um, we're coming out with a line of textiles in mid-2018. We are working with some national manufacturers for some furniture that's coming out also in 2018. You know, these are long-term uh, time investments. You know, it takes two to three years for a product to come out. Um, uh, our children who are 16, uh, one of them is having a, some of her fab, uh, fabric, uh, a small fabric line of her, from her drawings of animals because she's really into animal um, uh, awareness. Uh, well, she's species. focused on endangerment. And- endangerment. So she's created these animal skin designs that somebody picked up. And my, our other daughter, has a, uh, she actually has a website called Kate Belgerman. Dot com, and she has her own jewelry line at 16, at 16 years old. And Cindy Allen from Interior Design Magazine collects her work, and it's, it's crazy. And um, uh, we're presently doing the corporate headquarters for CAA, Creative Artists Agency. Uh, we just finished Legendary Pictures. Uh, we just did a restaurant for Drago at the Peterson Automobile Museum in Los Angeles. It's called Drago. Uh, Ristorante, um, and um, 
We're uh, doing a, ver a space for a company that's into alternate virtual reality called 8i. And they're going to have some you know, stages. And it's really an interesting space. And they're doing cutting edge, cutting edge holographic technology for the future. That, uh, that will be a whole other podcast, but if we can go into detail. <laughs> And we're doing a, the offices for a very conservative law firm. So we do projects that are out there and we also do conservative things yeah. as well. And um, we travel around a lot, um, participate in speaking engagement, engagements, although I, I hate talking in public, but sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, but I think that talking, you know, as designers, I think that we have a responsibility, not only just I feel like we have a responsibility to educate our clients, but we also have a responsibility to um, mentor the, you know, our next generation and, and help young designers coming in and share with them, you know, what we've learned along the ways and some, you know, valuable lessons that we can share with them for their knowledge. So um, I think there's a real important give back. Well, that's all really exciting, and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk with you today. Thank you for making time for us. Absolutely. Oh, Thank you fun. for okay. chatting with us. No, it's, it's been nice talking to you guys. I'm, it's like I'd, I'd like to keep going. I know. <laughs> You're doing so many interesting things. Just the fabric line alone I'd love to hear about. I know that's all. It's it's so complicated. It's crazy. You I have new, we have new appreciation for fabric. And textiles. Believe me, we did not get it the first time around, and we came up with like 80 designs. So, um, you know, yeah. there is definitely a. Well, you know what? Um, I have I have this Instagram account. Uh, we, we had one. We have one for our company, but I just did an Instagram account personally, uh, and but it's under Felderman Stanley. Maybe it's Stanley Felder. I don't know. But I, I'm starting to post all of. Uh, you know my artwork and one of the things we're doing is I, I draw in old coffee cups that you know paper coffee cups we recycle them and, um, and we have a, a tennis shoes that we've designed if you look it up you'll see and photography and so on so what we're starting to do and what I'm have enormous passion just to do art so that's where the 10 at night to 2 in the morning comes in that that's when you know, I do all that stuff but um, I just decided to post it, you know, starting a couple of days ago. And it's, it's just fascinating for, for us. So, I, you know, we love just putting it out there. Um, but if it's any consolation, I, sometimes I wake in the morning, up in the morning and I say, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? It, it never ends. You know, if I, yeah, I could sit and talk with you and say, oh, my God, you know, that sounds really great. But, you know, no matter what we do, no matter how, I can't speak for everybody, but no, no matter how expansive my life might be, it, it never fills that gap, you know, and maybe that's what it's about. We're always trying to fill that hole and it never gets filled. But I think that's what's called life, right? So, so we, all, we all have a different journey. We all have um, a whole that's so big that can be filled, but they're all different. So um, I hope I never fill it, you know, so I hope we Well, can. it keeps us, you know, constantly reevaluating and looking and um, attempting to be more innovative. 
Well, thank you guys again, and um, we appreciate you talking to us, and hopefully we'll talk to you again. Okay, great. You have a good week. Thanks. Thank uh, you all. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so there was our first first remote interview. Yeah. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed it. It's um, a certainly new experience for us, but I think we got a really excellent choice for, you know, to be able to talk to Stanley and Nancy. I mean, it was really... Yeah, what fantastic creative people. They're yeah. Just so interesting, always coming up with something new. And I love Stanley Lee's approach with his artwork and always challenging himself. Yeah, so lots of fun for us. And hopefully we'll get to do this again and um, find some other architects. Or if you have a suggestion, you know, someone you want to want us to interview, if we can possibly get a hold of them, uh, we'll give that a shot. But uh, you can always email us and let us know, uh, laura at hpdarch.com. And Larry at SpottedDogArchitecture.com. So just let us know, and we'll hopefully talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take it easy. Thanks, guys. Bye.